But it is a, a great opportunity to share a Christmas message with you today. And uh, if you're again, if you're visiting us, we've been doing this series over the last about f- four weeks leading into today called Christmas Tree. And we've been looking at this genealogy that's captured in Matthew's Gospel. If you've, if you've looked at Matthew's Gospel, you'll see at the very start, uh, Matthew gives us Jesus' family tree. He tells us uh, the names of these people. And, and, and often we skip over these uh, parts of the biblical text because it's so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, who was the father of so-and-so, and it goes on and on and on. But we see in this genealogy something incredible in the Jewish tradition. Because in the Jewish tradition, what they would do is they would only capture the male names in it. And yet in Matthew's genealogy, he includes the names of five women. And these five women uh, have an incredible story. And we've spent the last four Sundays leading into today looking at the story of these women. And the fifth woman that's captured is Mary, probably the best known of the lot. I'm sure you've probably spent time uh, talking and hearing, and particularly at Christmas time, reading about this incredible woman named Mary. I heard this story a little while ago about this uh, child who desperately wanted a bike for Christmas. And if you're giving your children bikes tomorrow, good luck putting them together tonight. That was my Christmas Eve last year uh, into the late hours. But this child, he wanted a bike for Christmas. And the night before Christmas, he kneels down beside his bed and he says, Jesus, if I get a, a bike for Christmas tomorrow, I'll be good for a whole month. And he hops into bed and he thinks, I can't do that. I can't manage a month. That's too much. So he gets out of bed again, says, Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, I'll be good for a week. And he gets into bed. He's pretty pleased with himself, but he realizes that a week is probably too long. And so he gets out of bed again and he says, Jesus, if, if you give me a bike, I'll be good for a whole day. And he gets into bed again and he thinks, I can't even do a whole day. There's no way. And so he has another idea and he walks down the street because there's a church on the corner. And he opens up the window and he climbs in. And at the front of this church is this little uh, statue of Mary. And he gets his statue and he hides it under his jumper and he races back home again. And he says, Jesus, if you want to see your mother again, you'll give me a bike. But we, we, hear, we talk a lot about Mary at Christmas. I hope I haven't offended anyone. If I have, you can come and, and complain to me after. But Mary has this interesting place in the Christian faith. You see, some traditions esteem her and exalt her and put her on the same level as Jesus and pray to her. Others almost dismiss her entirely. And, and they don't want anything really to do with Mary. And in doing so, they miss the fact that while she is not God, she is blessed of God, that she is favoured of God, and she has an incredible story. Sarah read to us a few moments ago this story of Mary that's captured in Luke's Gospel. And we read of this young girl uh, who probably was about 14 at the time. She was engaged to be married uh, to, to Joseph. You probably know the story. Engagements were a bit different back then. While they weren't actually married, effectively it was a, a completely binding agreement that they uh, had not yet consummated the marriage. They weren't living together, but within a few months they would be, and they would be husband and wife. 
Mary comes from this, this backwater. In fact, the, the ancient texts tell us that the area where Mary lived was a, an area of kind of disrepute, that it was just no one would bother to go there. It was so unremarkable, so uninteresting, so unspecial. It was far away from the places of cultural significance. It was far away from the temple, the places of spiritual significance. It was far away from power and privilege and wealth. And this is where this humble 14-year-old is there and, and betrothed, engaged to this man named Joseph, who was also an absolutely outstandingly unremarkable figure. You see, Joseph in his family line, deep, deep back in the past, came from a family line of kings, but here he is a, a fairly poor carpenter. He's there in this unremarkable place, living a simple existence. But what we find out about Joseph, and we won't spend any time talking about him today, you'll have to come back next Christmas for Joseph, but that he has this incredible combination of um, attributes in that he is both a righteous man, but he is both a, a righteous man and a compassionate man. You see, the law, the, those who followed the law like Joseph often became puffed up and proud and lacked compassion. But Joseph was a man of righteousness and also a man of compassion. And in Luke's gospel, uh, if you have a Bible, you can look there. But we're going to race through this bit and then spend some time in, in chapter 1 and the second part. But we know that the angel comes to Mary and says to Mary, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And Mary's response is to be confused and disturbed. I comp uh, completely appreciate Mary's response. She is confused and disturbed because the God who had remained silent for something like 400 years now speaks. And he speaks to this woman who is not important or significant or wealthy or powerful, but is completely unremarkable, completely normal. And God speaks to her. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary responds fearful, worried, disturbed, and anxious. And I can almost hear the softness in the angel's voice as he speaks to Mary, reassuring her and saying, you don't need to be afraid. And I love Mary's response where she says, but how can this happen? How can this happen? I am a virgin. And I love the fact that she's the ultimate pragmatist. She doesn't say, God, why would you choose me? Or no thanks, choose someone else. Or I don't want that responsibility. She just says, I don't even know how that's possible. You see, she knows how the biology of it works. And she states that she's a virgin. But you see, this is actually really important because God, way back in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned and had cut us off from God, there's this promise that is made. And this promise that God gives that the Savior of humanity would be through the seed of a woman. And effectively what that means is that it would come through the body of a woman, through the power of God, without the aid of a human man. And so with this clash of biology in her mind and God's word, 
Mary wants to know, how can this happen? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And so we read again of God's plan and his promise that this Savior would come. And this Savior would would be fully human, would inherit a physical body, would inherit a human nature, but not a sinful nature, but rather would come through the power of God. And the angel says to Mary, this is not the only miracle that's occurring because your, your, your relative Elizabeth, who everyone has known to be barren, and by this time, they reckon Elizabeth was probably about 60 years of age and maybe much older. She is also with child. And so Mary hurries, the, the text tells us, to visit Elizabeth in the hill country. And Elizabeth, seeing Mary, exclaims to her, because you have believed, the Lord will, has set, has, will do what he says he will do. You are blessed. You are blessed. And as I was reading this text, I was reflecting on Mary's life. Because I think we often have this image, this picture of the Christmas story, this picture of Mary as, as this uh, blessed woman. I mean, what an incredible blessing and privilege it is to be chosen to bear the Savior of the world. I think it's very easy for us to think that life was simple for her. That as soon as everyone heard this news, they just accepted it and were as pleased as they should have been. That no one doubted her, that Joseph, her future husband, when he first heard the news, didn't have doubts, but we know that he did. That her family and neighbors didn't whisper and accuse, because I'm sure they did. That Mary herself didn't even have her own doubts. That she didn't wonder, am I delusional? Is there something wrong with me? Am I imagining that God has chosen me? That she didn't have moments of worry, thinking that this burden, this responsibility, this gift was too heavy to carry. And But we see her words, and, and this is where I want to spend a few moments this afternoon. We see her words in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. She writes this song called the Magnificat. And that, that word just in, in Greek means to exalt or to magnify. And maybe you've read this song of Mary's. But this is what she says. She says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. 
And I want us to spend just a few moments reflecting on this incredible song that Mary writes, this incredible song that Mary sings. Because if you've been here for any of this series, you will have seen that this song could have, could have been the song of Tamar. It could have been the song of Rahab. It could have been the song of Ruth, of Bathsheba, these women captured in this lineage of Christ. Because the song that Mary sings is not a song about a God that is distant. It's not a song about a God that is far away. But rather, she sings of a God who draws near. She doesn't sing of a God who raises up those who have already been raised up, that, that um, gives pride to those who are already proud. But rather, she sings of a God who looks upon the lowly, of a God who sees the least as being significant and includes them in his perfect plan. She sings of the God who not only promises great things, but the God who keeps every single one of his promises. The God who has shown mercy again and again and again. And I want you to picture, if you're a visual person, this will be easy. If you're not, It'll be hard. This will be the hardest thing I'll ask you to do this afternoon. But I want you to picture Mary as she is sitting down to pen these words, to, to declare this song. She's been sent by the angel to Elizabeth's house, a place where she'll be encouraged, a place where she'll be supported, a place where Elizabeth too has seen the miraculous working hand of God in her life. She's surrounded here by people full of faith. And so it can be easy to think that faith was easy for Mary to hold on to. It's easy to think that she may not have heard the whispers of those doubting her, of those accusing her. And it's a very real place where both doubt and faith are intermixed. They're intertwingled. And I think that sometimes there would be days where the doubt was winning the battle over joy and over faith. This is a very, very real place where Mary, a very real person, is inhabiting. And I want to encourage you with this today. Because you see, for many of us, Christmas is about joy. We're feeling joyful this afternoon. You might have started your Christmas festivities today. I know some of you had big lunches. You're probably having a hard time staying awake. You're not the first person to fall asleep in, in my preaching. It's okay. But... For some of you, that's the case, but for others, perhaps this Christmas, it feels like there's a burden that is too heavy to carry. It feels like there's a journey that you're on that while it might be full of busyness and parties, it might be full of those things or it might not be, it might be a season of challenge, of trial for you. Because for many, Christmas is a reminder, it's a season of, of grief. It's a season of loss and of loneliness. And perhaps you're spending time this Christmas thinking back to how things once were. Thinking back to the times where there was happiness and the times where there was joy. And you're feeling sadness that things are not that way anymore. It's a very real place where sometimes at Christmas, as we come and, and we think we should be happy and we should be joyful, we're reminded of the broken world that we live in, of the curse of sin, and it's never more present in our lives than sometimes it is in this season. But you see, 
in her trial, in her challenge, Mary makes a choice. She chooses to sing of God's promise. She chooses to sing of this incredible promise that she can only but see a glimpse of. She cannot understand at all, even a fraction of the magnitude of it. But she chooses to write a song that reflects God's word, that reflects a knowledge that his word is more powerful than the word of others, that it is much truer than the word of others. So I want to ask you this afternoon, if you were writing a song this Christmas, what song would you sing? I'm not asking about karaoke, if that's on your Christmas tradition. But if you wrote a song this Christmas, like Mary, what song would you sing? Because we, need, we see another song way back in the book of Genesis. Eve sings a song. And she sings a song full of lies, corrupted by the lies of the serpent. And her song is one where she sings, God doesn't really love me. God doesn't want good things for me. Things are the way they are now and they will never, ever change. And you see, Eve's song did not bring peace. It brought anxiety. It didn't bring truth. It brought lies. It didn't bring joy. It brought distress and it brought trouble. Perhaps today, the song you're singing is a song of cynicism or it's a song of doubt where we ask ourselves, does, did God really say that over my life? Does His Word, does the Bible really speak into my situation? Does God really love me? Has God really saved me? Can God really use me? Will God really work things out for my good? And I'd say to you this afternoon that if that's the song you're singing this Christmas... Go back and look at the lives of these five women because they have a remarkable truth, each one of them for us. You see, Tamar's song was a song that said God sees those who are despised. He sees those who have been rejected. He sees those who have been shamed. Rahab's song declares that God sees those and uses those that you'd least expect. He uses those whose past should exclude them from being used by God. Those are the ones he chooses to show his mercy and his grace. We see Ruth's song that says, God sees your need. He sees your need and he acts with love towards you. We see in Bathsheba's song, that those who have been used and those who have been abused, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan and he will raise you up and he will bless you. And we see it in Mary's song, that God's timing is perfect, that God does not forget his promises and that nothing is impossible for God. You see, I think sometimes we want Christmas to be the end of suffering. We want it to be the end. It's at the end of the year and we want it to, to be the end of hardships. But the reality is that we live in a broken world. 
We live in a world where things are not the way that God intended them to be, where relationships and family and our, our bodies and our health are not the way that God intended them to be. But what we see at Christmas is this light, this glimmering light that shines in the midst of the darkness. This baby that was promised to Mary that says to us that God's promises are assured, that God's promises will be fulfilled. We see this promise of access to eternal life through the saving power of Christ. And so I'd say to you this Christmas, that if you don't know how to start a new song, maybe your song has been one of brokenness, it's been one of hurt, it's been one of struggle and it's been one of pain. And if you don't know how to start a new song, let's take something in confidence this Christmas of Mary's song, something of the strength and the faith that are found in Mary's words, this teenager whose life was turned upside down. How did she start the new song? She started it by, by hearing God's promise and responding with, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And I'd encourage you to consider that this Christmas because maybe this year is the year where you need to go back to Christ where you need to turn back to God and you need to say to God, God, I am your servant. May everything you have said about me in your word, may every single promise that you have declared over me in your word, may every single one of them come true in my life. I'd encourage you this Christmas to put your song, to put your confidence, to put your security in God's word, in his promises for your life, just like Mary did. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that it declares. We thank you for the gift of your son that you sent because you loved us. That while we were still sinners, that you sent Jesus, this, this ray of light, this glimpse of hope into a dark and dying world. We thank you for Mary. We thank you for her voice, for her song. We thank you that when others would have chosen to doubt, when others would have chosen to refuse or reject your promise, that she said yes, that she chose to follow you. God, that you gave her the faith and the confidence and the courage she needed to make those right steps, to not listen to the doubt, to not listen to the cynicism, but instead to listen to your word. Father, I pray for those who are gathered this afternoon. I pray particularly for those who are struggling. God, that in this season, their song isn't one of hope. Their song isn't one of joy. But maybe this, this season, their song is one of struggle. God, we pray that they would look to you that they would fix their eyes on you, that they would hold on to the promises that you have declared over them and God, that they would see those things come about in their life. And so Father, we pray a blessing upon each and every one this Christmas. God, that you would go before them, that you would go beside them, 
Lord, and that they would be reminded of your faithfulness in their past as well. And so we look to you. We thank you for the precious gift of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.